This morning, we stop, as we do roughly once a month, um, to remember what is an important and a cherished practice in the life of the church, in the life of Valley, and the life of the global church. Um, this stopping and remembering what we usually refer to as the Lord's Supper, uh, what some talk about as communion or the Eucharist. This practice, this coming together is not supposed to be some small thing. Which is why there's a multitude of ways in which different churches uh, practice it in order to, to make sure that the memory that needs to surround it is there. So for some, they do it every week in worship, um, believing that it's central to every time they gather for worship. So it needs to always be a part of the worship gathering. Uh, there are others. There are churches uh, that, Baptist churches like us, that, that have moved it to quarterly. Believing that when it happens too frequently, you forget that it is some moment of celebration. It, for them, it's, it's, it would be like having Christmas every day. Uh, why would you have Christmas every day? Then you don't get to celebrate it once a year. So you move it to once a year. and uh, So they moved it to quarterly. So that once a quarter, it pops back up. Um, our practice is typically to practice it once a month uh, on the first Sunday. And sometimes we shift that for different things. But we come together once a month and we participate in in this together. And so I guess I said, some call it uh, Lord's Supper, communion, or the Eucharist. They talk about it being the Mass. Um, so Mass is not just the worship gathering for our Catholic friends, but the Mass is really the sharing in this piece of worship together, uh, which is which is vital um, to what they do and to their practice, and really for all of us, even though it carries different practices and theologies. In 1 Corinthians 11, the passage that we read, Paul calls it an announcement. So he doesn't necessarily stick a name on it, although he does talk about the Lord's Supper and uh, different translations would do different things about it. But he calls it an announcement saying that that these elements, as we use a small cracker and a cup of juice, that these elements are an announcement, a proclamation of what Jesus has done of the death of Christ. Now, yes, we need to be honest about the reality, and this is going to be hard for a few of us, so just, just bear with me. Uh, it is highly unlikely that when Jesus did this or when Paul talked about it, they were talking about small crackers with no flavor that are gluten-free. Usually, I'm not positive today's are, but usually, and a little cup of grape juice. Um, highly unlikely. Now, we don't need to have a conversation about what they were using, but highly unlikely it looked the same as this. But never was it about the element. The elements or the precise elements that were used, that's not where the value takes place. So sometimes we even change what we do. We do it so that it is a, a reminder for us, a transition for us as we sometimes move to a shared loaf or a shared cup or different ways in which we practice so that we remember that something special, something sacred is taking place. But what elements are used are not the point. The Gospels give us the understanding that the point is that Jesus was creating a, a physical demonstration that was to remind and proclaim, to remind them of what was happening, to proclaim what was coming, to proclaim what had happened. Jesus was reminding them and proclaiming to them about this journey that he had taken and this journey that he was still in the process of taking and also the journey that he was inviting them and later us to join him in. And there are intentional overlaps that we sometimes read over as Baptists in 2020, but that the Jewish readers would have not at all missed of the overlaps that take place with the Jewish Passover. 
the reality that the, the first time that Jesus did this, it was probably a gathering for Passover, that the elements that were a part of it were a part of the Passover celebration, and that what Jesus was doing was building on what they meant the same way that he did with the Jewish understanding of the faith. Not that he was changing it or getting rid of it or erasing it, but bringing it to a fulfillment and to a further fruition and to greater understanding of what was taking place there. So we're told in the gospel stories that Jesus took bread, a regular part of any meal, and that he gave that bread new meaning. That he took something familiar and he decided that this familiar thing would forevermore remind them of the miraculous. That the bread would represent his own body. The body that had not yet been beaten, but it was coming. That had not yet been broken, but it was coming. The body that had not yet experienced a crown of thorns or wounds in his hands and his feet from the nails, but it was coming. This bread that they shared announced for them what was coming. Then we're told that Jesus took an ordinary cup of wine. Again, familiar And common, a part of each and every meal that they probably shared together. But never again would it simply be common. Now this simple cup of wine would speak to the shed blood of the Savior. This cup would announce Jesus as the promised Messiah. The Messiah who was coming, the Messiah who Isaiah had spoken of that would be uh, a, a slaughtered lamb. And all of this for them still coming to fruition, still unclear as they don't understand exactly what's taking place. And obviously their celebration of it and ours looks different because of the reality of time and experience and what we know that they didn't yet. But the understanding and the explanation that Jesus was giving is that this shed blood spoke forgiveness and love and sacrifice. Scott McKnight, in his book, The King Jesus Gospel, tells us that as Jesus died, that Jesus died, he says there are three elements that are a piece of this that are important. That he died with us for identification, that he died instead of us, which is about representation and substitution, and that he died for us, this incorporation into the life of God. So as we come together and we share the Lord's Supper, as we share communion together, we too make an announcement. That's what Paul called it. We make an announcement that God in the flesh came to live among us. We make an announcement that Jesus was killed on a cross with us instead of us and for us. We make an announcement that Jesus experienced full humanity in all that he did, but significantly in this death that was physical and painful. We announced that Jesus took on the damage that our sin had done to us and to all of creation. We announce that we've been rescued by Jesus welcoming us in so that we can fully become a part of the community with God. And the scriptures remind us and tell us, and this celebration reminds us that this death was necessary for us to walk in to the fullness of relationship with Christ that we've been offered, that we've been invited into. And we know then at the, the original supper that took place at the Gospels, the, the story that Paul was speaking back onto, that Jesus' journey wasn't yet finished, that he hadn't yet died. And we also know that beyond that, there was... There was 
there were miracles to come. There was much that was still happening. His journey wasn't yet done. Death was coming. New life was coming. But also in this, and in this journey, was the invitation to those who would be his followers to come and join with him. We know that, that death was necessary for new life. It's critical for salvation and for restoration and for redemption. But we also recognize in the story of Jesus and in the practice of the supper, the invitation that has come for us, the invitation from Jesus that we would join in death. And we don't think about that real often, do we? This invitation that comes from Jesus that we too would die. That part of following after Jesus was death for us, death to ourselves, death to our flesh, death to our sinful desires, death to the multitude of idols that we have in our life or that cry for attention in our life. The reality that we are called to die with Christ if we're ever to experience new life. New life made possible through the broken body and the shed blood. New life made possible through our choice to surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior and friend. So this practice continued. The first, what what we call the last supper, the last gathering of Jesus with his disciples. This demonstration that took place that we later find in the New Testament church that Paul speaks to again in 1 Corinthians that we practice again once a month here together. For them, for those first disciples, it was about what was to come. But for the later church, for the New Testament church, and for us, a proclamation of what has happened, of what has been experienced, of what has gone on. So today, as we stop and we take this supper together, we remember the broken body and the shed blood. Through a small broken cracker and a cup of juice. Symbols of the body and the blood. An announcement made through the sharing of these elements together. So in 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul spoke to what was taking place, he spoke into an interesting situation. Because they carried forward with the practice. They carried forward with this idea of sharing the Lord's Supper together. We, we saw it appear several times throughout the story of Jesus. We, we see the Last Supper. We see Acts 2 where it talks about the gathering for the Lord's Supper. We see it come up again. And then as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he's speaking into what's going on specifically in the church in Corinth. Because apparently they were making quite a mess out of this practice. So this practice that was going on in all these churches, they were somehow making a mess out of it. So as Paul wrote to them, he encouraged that they evaluate two aspects of this new life that they were living in. And he spoke it specifically to the supper, but I think it really was a more broad speaking that they reevaluate two aspects of what they were doing with new life. That if they were going to proclaim new life, which is what the supper is about, proclamation of new life available through Christ, through the broken body and the shed blood. If they were going to proclaim new life through the sharing of communion together, that new life should be a part of what they were seeing in their day-to-day living. So he spoke to these two things. I think first, most significantly, he spoke to the nature of this communal living that was supposed to be happening, this communal supper, this gathering together. This announcement was about bringing together the body of Christ. 
It was about representing or recreating that, that supper that existed between Jesus and his followers. That gathering together where Jesus told them what the body was, what the, what, what the bread was, what the cup was, what was coming from those, the broken body, the shed blood. So this, this gathering together was a communal practice that was once again about gathering the followers, about gathering the body, about gathering believers together for a sign and an act of unification. But as we read into the Corinthian story and we try and understand what's taking place, it appears that rather than a practice that was unifying them, it had become something divisive. Something that was dividing them. Now what we're uncertain about as we read about the Lord's Supper in the New Testament is whether this practice of the Lord's Supper included an entire meal, which some argue that it did, or whether it was somehow a a part of the meal. So a meal was shared, they gathered for a meal together, and then at some point in it that they that they kind of separated something that was called communion or the Lord's Supper where they would break the bread and they would share the cup. So it's unclear which of those they were doing, but we know that there was a meal that surrounded it. And again, this church had decided to somehow make this practice, this this shared meal, this gathering for a meal together and communion and the Lord's Supper, instead of making it communal and unifying, they had decided to make it divisive. As I read it and I thought about it, it, it seems like it has become a party that only the cool kids are invited to. Those that they like, those that they enjoy being around, those that are on the same uh, station or status in life, those that they feel like they fit in a group with are the ones who are, are, are invited to come and be a part of it. There is this picking and choosing of who's in and who's out and what that looks like. At the very least, this separation of phases. Now, whether that means that they separated the meal or they separated into different rooms, there was this separation that was happening among them where it was clear who among them was rich, who among them was poor, who was in the in crowd, who was in a different crowd, who belonged, who didn't, who was central, who was supposed to exist on the fringes. So as Paul wrote into this specifically to them, he wrote to correct the misuse of this celebration of Jesus in proclaiming that all are welcome at the table of Christ. Rich and poor, young and old, male and female, Jew and Gentile. This gathering together to celebrate who Jesus was carries with it an open invitation. All are welcome. This was the gathering of the church to proclaim new life and to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. So just as all are welcome in the kingdom of God, all are welcome at the table. This coming together as the church... That was taking place among them. They were coming together and they were talking about their time together. And in it they were even celebrating apparently this idea that they were a transformed community. That, that God had done this incredible work in them. That Jesus had done these things. That the Holy Spirit had done these things. And yet what they were finding in their life is that they weren't living new life. They were proclaiming new life. They were proclaiming new creation but not living as new creation. Because they were living the same way that all the rest of the world lived. Deciding that some among them were better than others. Humiliating those that were lesser than them. Shaming those who they believed weren't up to the same level. They didn't look like the church that Paul had told them the church was supposed to look like. They didn't look like the kind of people that Jesus had called them to be as followers of Jesus. 
it makes me remember something I said a few weeks ago. I didn't even think about this until just this moment. These weird things flash through my head as I sit here. But a few weeks ago, I made some statement, something about we don't get to choose not to love hard people and still call ourselves followers of Jesus. The church in Corinth was apparently doing exactly the same thing. Choosing to discount or push out people who are harder, people who look different, people that they didn't like as much, and yet still proclaiming that they were the church, they were the people of Jesus. So as Paul spoke into this, Paul said, no, absolutely unacceptable. You don't get to proclaim new life and still live old life. So part of what he was calling them to do was to reevaluate what was happening in their life together. So this morning as we take the elements together and we proclaim the gospel, the, 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 the power that comes in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we also announce that all are welcome at the table. A second piece that I feel like he was calling them uh, to reevaluate as they were thinking about what was happening in the Lord's Supper was a time of self-examination. As, as Paul talked about the idea that they were to come rightly, that they were to come with the right posture, that they were to come in the right way. And we see this especially in starting in verse 27 as he says, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, That's an interesting word. We're going to get to that in a minute. Is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Now, if I'm completely honest, this passage is just a little bit scary. And even makes me wonder if I should ever participate in the Lord's Supper when we take it. But he's not so much speaking into a kind of legalism. He uses this word unworthily. And I think it's a really difficult word for us to figure out how to use in context. The context of what was taking place and what the letter looked like. And what was happening in the life of the church and why they were gathering together. There are some that I've heard talk about the idea that that being worthy or unworthy is about whether or not someone is or isn't a believer. Even about whether someone is or isn't baptized as a believer. That the idea is that those who are worthy are Christians and those who are unworthy are are, are non-Christians. So this is the text that we often use to decide whether or not someone gets to practice the Lord's Supper because they have decided to follow Jesus. This is usually where where we proof text that idea. And yet, two things that come to mind for me in that. First... It's a really easy way for us to dodge self-examination when we decide the word unworthily is about Christians or not Christians, right? An easy way for us as, as followers of Jesus to go, hey, not talking about me. That's just talking about those people that don't know Jesus. However, as we read this, we have to remember that this was a letter to the church. This was a letter to people who called themselves Christ followers. I don't think in any way this passage or Paul was concerned about whether believers and or non-believers were taking the Lord's Supper. This idea of non-believers taking the Lord's Supper, to be honest, I don't think ever crossed Paul's mind. There was no reason for him to prohibit such a thing because it absolutely never would have happened. In that culture... People did not want to be mistaken as Christ followers if they were not Christ followers. They had no interest in being mistaken as one of, one of them, 
one of those people. This was not the culture that people were aspiring to find their way into. So they were somehow pretending that they understood or were a part of something that they weren't. So I don't think it would have ever even crossed Paul's mind, honestly, anywhere in his New Testament letters to say that people who don't know Jesus can't participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, there are ways that we can come up with that and kind of work ourselves to that theology, but it gets really hard for us to do with this passage because that's not what this text was about. I would actually say it gets hard with any specific passage. It kind of takes us stretching some things in order to get there. Because I don't think for Paul that there was a concern that the idea that if someone participated in the Lord's Supper who didn't know Jesus and therefore didn't understand what they were doing, that they somehow defiled the practice or the elements. I think he would have seen them as simply unaware of the majesty that once ordinary elements, bread and wine, now carried for the body of Christ. Because if I'm honest about what I understand, I think was happening with bread and wine was not just that the church would have special moments where they gathered together to share the Lord's Supper, but I think what was actually going on in Jesus' intentional selection of common elements was so that the church would remember every time they ate a piece of bread, Jesus gave his body for me. So that the church would remember every time they shared a cup of wine, Jesus shed his blood for me. It wasn't just an event. It was about taking the ordinary and allowing it to remind us of the miraculous over and over and over and over again. So as Paul, as Paul talked about, about, about sharing in the supper unworthily, as Paul talked about taking the supper unworthily, Paul was talking to Christ followers. Paul was talking to the church. Paul was talking to us. This again is where it gets a little bit scary and makes me wonder if I should participate or not. Because of this call of what it means to be worthy or unworthy. How do I become worthy of something the scriptures tell me I'm absolutely unworthy of ever participating in? What does that mean? What is taking place? What is going on here? I think that certainly Paul is speaking to their poor communal practices. Certainly speaking to what we already talked about, this idea that they were pushing people out and deciding who was in and who was out. But I think that also he's speaking to their individual lives and saying to them that it is not okay for them to proclaim that they're living some kind of new life and there be no evidence of that new life in their day-to-day living. Now, I don't think this is about some form of, of Pauline legalism. That he somehow is trying to push them to the place that they have to have recognized every way in which they failed in the last week or everything that they've done wrong. Or that every sin had to be confessed before they could be a part of what it meant to take the Lord's Supper. I don't think the pursuit was legalism. I think the pursuit was self-reflection. The goal, the desire of Paul was that, that they evaluate their own lives and that they inspect whether or not they were a people living into who God had called them to be. Living into who Christ had asked them to be. That they were looking for ways in which their life that they could still be made into more of who God was calling them to be and the Holy Spirit was transforming them into. I think that this supper, that this gathering, that this self-reflection was to be a constant reminder that there is a God and I am not that God. Because I am still flawed. 
I am still in need of the grace of Christ. So over and over again, I come to the supper, not perfected, but noticeably broken. And once again, proclaiming, I need the body. I need the blood. Because in my life and in our lives, we are still a people who hold grudges inappropriately. Still a people who go around gossiping even though the scriptures have told us not to. Still a people who don't always love well even though Jesus has clearly called us to do exactly that. Still a people that fall. Still a people that sin. Still a people deeply in need of saving. As much today as I was the very first day that I asked Jesus to save me. So what this creates for us is an opportunity for confession. Yes, confession of specific Sin issues in our life. But even more broadly, a confession that I am still a deeply broken man in need of a Savior. So as we come to the table, ideally we have come recognizing our flaws. Fixing, yes, what it is that we can. Walking away from those sins. Repenting, which means turning from. But also recognizing the rest of them. And giving them to God to forgive and transform. So we evaluate and we recognize our shortcomings before the supper. What is it that I can change? Who should I forgive? Who do I need to apologize to? What should I confess? Before proclaiming the blood of Jesus saves, what do I need to confess? So today as we come and we share the supper together, we make announcements. Announcements about ourselves and announcements about the gospel. And we aren't announcing perfection, but we are announcing instead our continued commitment to surrender. We are announcing that the gospel brings transformation and that we are open to that transforming work that is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. We come worthy, not out of our perfection, but out of our openness to the Holy Spirit's work of transformation in our lives. So as we share the bread and cup today, we preach the message of the gospel That Jesus was born and he lived and he died and he rose from the grave to bring rescue and new life to all who would follow him. We preach the gospel that all are welcome at the table of the king because all are welcome in the kingdom of God. We preach the truth that Jesus is Lord over us and that we're willing to surrender To the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. The bread and the cup. The cracker and the juice. Call it what you will. These elements today are our sermon. Our proclamation. That Jesus is king. That we surrender. And that all are welcome. So this morning as we take some moments to share the supper together. I invite you. To evaluate, to self-reflect, 
What is it in your life that needs to be confessed? Who is it you need to forgive? Who is it you need to apologize to? What work needs to happen in you to prepare yourself to be worthy? Not fixed, not perfect. Worthy because of your full surrender to Jesus. Worthy to gather at the table with the body of Christ. We're going to give you some time to ponder. As we'll take a moment or two of silence and then we'll pray together. And then we'll serve the elements. And as we do so, we invite you to take them and to hold them. As in a few moments, we'll share the supper together. But I also invite you that if the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something this morning, to move in some way this morning, maybe it's through confession and you need to come to the altar and confess. Maybe it's forgiveness and you need to literally walk across the room and speak your forgiveness to someone else in the body. Maybe it's to apologize. And you need to walk across the room and speak your words of confession to another. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is stirring you to do, I invite you to do so as we approach the table together. And to know that all are welcome here. Let me pray for you and Nathan and the team will come and prepare to lead us. Jesus, we thank you for the work that you have done, for the sacrifices that you have made on our behalf, for the opportunity that you have given us to come and be a part of your people, to experience new life, to receive the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, so work transformation in us. And as we share this supper together, may it be our celebration, our proclamation, our announcement that Jesus is King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.